0: Amen. If you have a Bible with you today, uh, I encourage you to open it to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, or maybe one that you're going to turn on. So 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Is where we're going to be. If you're a guest with us today, I want to say welcome. Uh, my name is Lee. I'm one of the pastors uh, here at Heights, and we'd love to be able to connect with you uh, further. If you're a guest, there is a welcome card out there in front of you that you can fill out on the back side of that card. That's for anybody. Uh, if you have a prayer request, uh, maybe something you want to share, we'd love to be able to communicate with you on that. Just put that in the gray box on the black tables uh, before you exit this room uh, at the End of our service. Those of you that are worshiping online this morning, I want to say welcome to you and good morning. If you're new with us online, worshiping where you are, connect with us uh, by going to heightschurch.org/connect, or you can, if you're watching on your TV, your iPad, or computer, just open up the camera app there on your phone, put it right over that QR code. That's going to take you to our connect page on our website as well. Uh, Fill out what you're comfortable there with. We'd love to be able to pray for you no matter where you are. That's going to come right to me, and we'd love to be in touch with you and follow up with you as well. So thank you for joining us this morning online. We can do more together than we can do apart. You've probably heard that at some point in some different setting. We can do more together. Than we can do a part now that is more than a catchy slogan that's actually the truth you know it's more than a slogan to say we can do more together than we can do apart it's it's the truth you know it, it's been my honor to work alongside of you uh, in reaching people for Christ for almost four years now this August will be the end of my fourth year being here as your pastor and we have been through some historic events in four years you know, there was, there was a storm right off the bat called Hurricane Harvey. Then we've done the COVID-19 pandemic together. This winter, we saw what happened when all of Texas turned on their heat at the same time, right? And, and I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm done. I'm, I'm kind of full of like historic once-in-a-lifetime events all within four years. But if you think of all that we have gone through, you all have done an amazing job Over four years. You know, in almost a four year period, we have baptized 86 people. Almost a four year period, our worship attendance has grown. In a four year period, all of you, we have started new ministries. We have found new ways of engaging our community with the good news of Jesus Christ. And here's something I, I just get really excited about. In almost a four year period, you have given a little over $850,000 to mission work. And just let that sink in for a second. In a four-year period, $850,000 has left here, has gone out in our communities, gone in our state, gone around the United States, gone around the world to help people reach Jesus. That's awesome with everything we've gone through together. We can do more together together then we can do divided. Paul is writing in this letter to the church of Corinth, and in this section picking up in verse 10, he's going to address the issue of divisions, and he's going to show you the danger of those divisions. And so let's read verses 10 through 17 uh, together, and and if you don't mind, if you're able again to stand, let's stand as we honor the reading of the word of God. Uh, if you're new with us, we like to do this uh, because we, we honor God's Word as His Word. We get this pattern from the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, they stood to read the law in the book of Ezra when they did it. And now they stood from sunup to sundown as the whole law was read. I'm going to let you sit at the end of verse 17. You're welcome. Okay. I appeal to you, brothers, verse 10 says, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree... That there are no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it's been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. Verse 12 says, What I mean is that each of you says, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? Verse 14. I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gatius, so that no one may say that you were baptized in my name. I did baptize also the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't know whether I baptized anyone else. Verse 17 is the key verse here. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. We believe this is the Word of God. You may be seated. You know, verse 10, Paul is showing you a goal when it comes to unity within a local church because there is danger of division. But notice the goal of unity. Verse 10, he starts out that verse with that term, and don't miss it, brothers. He's saying, brothers and sisters in Christ, those of you that have placed your faith and your trust In Jesus. I'm talking to you. I'm talking to you, Christians, is what he's saying. And we have to remember this that when it comes into a local church, those of us that say we follow Christ, that we have placed our faith and trust in Jesus and Jesus alone, we are brothers and sisters in Christ. We are a family. And so therefore, when we have disagreements, when we don't agree with each other, we ought to treat each other with grace and with kindness and with love because that person you disagree with, they've been loved by God just like you have. That if they trust Christ as their savior, they've been redeemed by Jesus just like you've been redeemed. They've experienced the grace of Jesus like you've experienced the grace of Jesus. So then I have to extend that same type of grace, that same type of love as brothers and sisters in Christ. And notice the the goal he's pointing us to in verse 10, that you all agree that there's no divisions among you, that you're united in the same mind and judgment. Now that word division, it literally means to tear or to rip apart. And so what he's getting at there is is to be careful we're not tearing or dividing or ripping apart. The other place you're going to see that term used is in John chapter 7. And the Pharisees are having an argument among themselves about who Jesus is. And that word division appears in the same word as it does here that Paul's using. And so the Pharisees were being ripped apart They're being torn apart because they can't agree on who Christ is. And so Paul's saying, I'm appealing to you to have the same mind and judgment, to agree on who Jesus is. All right, so unity within a local church is to say we all agree on who Christ is. Fundamentally, that unifies us that we believe that Christ Jesus is the Lord and Savior of all that Christ redeems anyone who comes to him by faith. And so when we think about unity, unity does not mean uniformity. Unity in a local church does not mean you lose your individualism because we are all different. We're all made in the image of God, but we all have different personalities. We have different thoughts sometimes of things. You know, so it doesn't mean when we talk about unity and agreeing that Paul's saying you lose your individualism, but instead unity in a local church is saying we are gathering together, unified, believing this Jesus and having the same purpose. Okay, so think about it this way. Um, think about for some of you, you, you do this, you, you make quilts and, uh, and, and say you're going to make a quilt. And you're gonna make a quilt, and in that quilt is gonna be representative of all your family members. Right? So you sit down and make the quilt, and you're saying, okay, for this square, I'm gonna, you know, this square is gonna represent my son, this square is gonna represent my sister, this square is gonna represent my grandkid, you know, or, or the other grandkid, or the third grandkid, or the fourth grandkid, or some of you have like too many grandkids, you can't even remember how many you have, right? And so in that quilt. As you're making each of those squares, you're making that square based on that individual. You're going to put something in that quilt that represents them. But then you're going to take all those squares and you're going to bring it together in a unified quilt to say this represents my family. This tells the story of my family. And so Paul says that's the goal that all of us individually come together unified with purpose and unified in the same judgment of who Jesus is. That's the goal. But we run very quickly in this section to a problem. And the problem is verse 11. It's been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, fighting among you, division among you. And notice again he says in verse 11, My brothers... So he's saying, hey, guys, I've been getting text by Chloe's people. It's all over Facebook, what you guys are doing. And what's happening, verse 12 shows us, is they're dividing off in factions, cliques, groups. And there's a clique or a faction in a group within this local church that says, hey, I I follow Paul or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. And what those are, they're prominent teachers. And so they're dividing off and saying, no, I follow that teacher, I follow this teacher, I follow this teacher. Now, the text does not indicate that any of these teachers have done anything wrong. But Paul's saying it's not good these cliques you form, these factions you form within this church because what's happening is they're dividing those things off. Now, immediately your your brain may need to go, wait a minute, slow down. Because one of those groups is saying, I follow Christ. And isn't that a good group? I mean, why, why is he throwing, you know, the follow Christ faction into this? Well, we can think of it this way. First, it could be very sarcastically that Paul's throwing this in. Because if you read a lot of Paul's writings in the New Testament, you know this guy has a sarcastic streak among him. The second thing he may be doing here is saying this I follow Christ group is elevating themselves pridefully over the others. And so what you're seeing is this, that Paul's saying you guys are splitting up in your church trying to say, no, no, I'm following this guy or I'm following this guy. Some of you have been in church long enough to know the pain of a divided church. Some of you have been in church long enough, you've been through that. You've been through divisions, you've been through fights, you've been through arguments, and you know the pain of that. And if you have been through the pain of that, I am very sure that many of you don't want to return to that kind of pain. Because understand this about a local church. You see it here within this text. We read it 2,000 years later. You will be known for something in your community. I guarantee, Heights Baptist Church, we will be known for something. right? People will know. If you meet somebody out on the street and you say, hey, I go to Heights, I want to invite you. Oh, you go to Heights. <laughs> oh. Okay. You'll be known for something. What are they known for? What's being spread around? What are Chloe's people telling Paul? They're known for what? Fighting, splitting up, factions, divisions. That's what they're right now being known for in their community. Let me ask you this. What do we want to be known for? Because we're going to be known for something, all right? Every local church is known for something. What do you want to be known for? here's what I want us to be known for. And I hope you agree with this. I want to be known as a church that's not just in a community, but for a community. I'd love for us to be known as people who not just know good news of Jesus, but we share the good news of Jesus. We ought to be known as people who come together and we're connecting in relationships, helping each other out, grow in our faith. We ought to be known for people who are engaging in spiritual disciplines, helping each other grow. We should be known for something positive within our community, not something negative. Amen? All right. So Paul says, here's this problem, but what's the solution? How do we work toward unity? How do we move toward this? Well, Let's pick up in verse 14. Paul's saying in verse 14, I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and uh, no, Not one of you may say you were baptized in my name. He goes on to verse 16. He says, well, hey, I, I also did baptize the household of Stephanus, now that I think about it a little more. But notice verse 17, again, is a key verse. Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. And not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. See, Paul's given us a solution there in, in seeking unity within a local church. And understand, he's not downplaying baptism when he mentions that. He's not saying that that baptism is not important. But what's happening is, again, people are identifying with Paul in that baptism. The solution he's showing us is keeping the gospel the center of the local church. Baptism's important, but baptism doesn't save you. Romans 1.16 says it's the gospel that is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. And so as a local church, our main purpose is to push the gospel constantly out because that's the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. And so, so Paul's saying, look, baptism's important, but it's not the most important thing within a local church so as we're seeking to unify together how do we do this all right so I'm going to unpack this for you a little bit and then also Pastor Matt and I have a podcast coming out on Wednesday where we really spend about half an hour on this unpacking everything I'm going to do for you in about 15 minutes so you can uh, get a little deeper understanding of this coming out on Wednesday but in pursuing unity within a local church. Number one, we pursue doctrinal unity. So when you think about pursuing unity, and again, that unity is having the same mind, same judgment about Christ. That's verse 10. It's not losing your identity. It's not losing your individualism, but it's coming together saying, here's our purpose. Here's what we believe. We pursue doctrinal unity. Now, in that type of unity, there's going to be what I call tier level issues. You may have heard it said this way before, closed hand issues and open hand issues, right? So tier one, level one, closed hand and doctrinal unity, we all have to agree in order to be unified in three major areas. Number one, what does the Bible say about God? Who is God? He is one God who reveals himself in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So in order to have doctrinal unity at a tier one level, we all have to agree we believe in Father, Son, Spirit. Rightly that is taught by the Bible. All right, that's tier one. Second part of tier one is this. We all have to agree on the Bible. That we believe the Bible is the word of God. That it is without theological error. And it is the Bible that shows man how to get back to God and have a relationship with him. It's not man's word, it's God's word. The third area of tier one is the gospel. The gospel is the good news of the person and work of Jesus Christ. That Christ died on the cross for our sin. Christ was buried in a tomb. On the third day Christ rose again. That's only good news until you receive that good news in your life, but that's the gospel. So when we think about tier one, level one issues in unity, we say this, that's a closed hand issue we're not compromising on. So in order to have unity, if you don't agree with us on that, we're not compromising it because it's closed handed. And if you don't believe it, then okay, we can still, you know, be graceful to each other, have love for each other, and care for each other, but we can't be unified together because we're not of the same mind and same judgment in those closed-hand issues. So we do not compromise level one, tier one, closed-hand issues of God, the Bible, and the gospel for the sake of unity. That's just where we say, hey, we, we can't work together because we're not compromising our core convictions. That's level one. Level two, or tier two, is where we say we still have convictions, but these convictions are what we would call distinctives that then begin to to put us in different local churches. Okay, so for instance, let's say baptism. Baptism, to me, is a, a level two issue. Baptism is very important. I have deep convictions over baptism. I was raised in a United Methodist church. I was baptized as a baby. I didn't have a choice of that, right? I was baptized as a baby. I got sprinkled. But I'm under the conviction you need to be baptized as a believer in Jesus Christ. Therefore, I'm convictionally a Baptist, meaning I chose this. Some of you just grew up in this, right? So it is a deep conviction of mine that baptism is important, and it's for believers in Jesus and believers only. But that's a level two issue, meaning this: we can still recognize that there are people who are of other denominations, like Methodists and Episcopals and uh, Presbyterians and some non-denominationals, who are core one with us, that they believe in God, the Bible and the gospel. And we can say, hey, you share the same core values of level one that we're not compromising either, but level two on an issue like baptism, we don't agree. So therefore, we kind of worship within our own local churches. But we can still work together at times because we agree on level one. Level two, we have some disagreement, but we can can partner on a few things. Now, that doesn't mean we partner on everything, but we can partner with sometimes people of other denominations on some things. Let me tell you one thing I'm not always comfortable partnering with other denominations in. Let's just say we have a citywide crusade and we get together, the Episcopals and the Methodists and the Baptists, and they say, hey, let's do big you know, uh, citywide crusade and have a guest preacher in and try to win a bunch of people for Jesus. Do I have a problem with that? No. But when they go, hey, a bunch of people are going to get saved, guess what this guy's going to start arguing about, right? I get all the follow-up because I want them all baptized as believers, right? And then my other brother in the Methodist church or the Episcopal church may go, wait, 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 why do you get all the follow-up? Well, you should get all the follow-up. No, because we disagree on baptism. You do it wrong. And they would look at me and go, well, no, no, you do it wrong. And I would say, well, pull out your Bible and show me where you see baptism. They would make their argument biblically of the, how they baptize. And I would say, well, let me show you in my Bible how I make my argument baptism, right? And then we have to go, hey, do you agree to disagree? But maybe in this instance, we don't work together, but we still can on a level two issue. Level three would be something in a local church where it's just flat out agree to disagree. Let's take this issue in a, a local church. How about end time events? We all agree on those, right? We all agree on when the rapture is going to happen, right? No, it's a level three issue. You may say, hey, I believe the rapture of the church is going to happen before the tribulation period. Or I may say, you know, hey, it's going to happen in the mid part of the tribulation period. Or you think it's going to happen at the end of the tribulation period. Or you may be new to all this and you go, what's the rapture? Okay, that's fine, we'll get you there but do we honestly know 100% confidently when it's going to happen? No. Why? Because scripture's not 100% clear on that. So you take a level three issue like the rapture and you go, okay, we can partner together. We can work together. We can love each other, but agree to disagree on those things. That's not an issue to divide over. That's not an issue to fight over. So level one, Core convictions, God, Bible, gospel, we do not compromise those things for the sake of the gospel. Level two, we still have strong convictions that are going to be different distinctives that we can say, all right, we can work with you on some things, but maybe not on other things. Level three, open hand issues, things like end times where we go, agree to disagree. So in pursuing unity within a church, we pursue doctrinal unity. Second, we pursue... uh, relational unity let's take uh bible and let's go to second corinth excuse me first corinthians chapter 12 first corinthians chapter 12 we want to pursue relational unity with each other in 1 corinthians chapter 12 we're going to get there uh, one day in a few months but in chapter 12 paul is talking about the body of christ and in verse 24 of chapter 12 i want you to pick up about mid-verse he says, but God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it. There may, there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. So in pursuing unity, we pursue relational unity. Unity. Meaning, we seek to serve those who are often not served. We seek to help those who are often not helped. We seek to serve one another, and we are related so closely to one another when one part of the body hurts, all of the body hurts. When one part rejoices, all of us rejoice and this is why again i appreciate your guys heart so much because of our special needs ministry we've been able to build out over the last four years you serve families like mine you serve families like mine where i have a son that is severely autistic and that we don't always fit in society we can't go to the movies like you typically go to the movies in a crowded movie theater When my son goes out in public, often he has to have his noise-reducing, canceling headphones on because of all the stimulization that he gets. So when we go out, we can't go out to a restaurant as a family and sit down and order at a Chili's because he doesn't have the capability to wait on the food as long as sometimes we have to wait at those restaurants. When we go out into public, we've had people move away from us. I've had things said to me at the grocery store. So what a church ought to do is be able to welcome families in like mine to say that my son has just as much worth and value as a typical child. The adult with dementia has just as much worth and value as the adult who has a a full ability mentally. That as a local church, we look around and say, who are we not serving? Who's being pushed out in the margins of our society and say, you're welcome in here. And that's why I love our special needs ministry serves not only children, but teenagers, adults, and caregivers, because we're looking out for the body of Christ. I love the way one author said it. He said, the fabric of the body should be so interwoven and unified if one thread is torn, all threads fill the stress. The oneness is a union of heart that feels what the other feels. And so in pursuing unity, we pursue doctrinal unity, we pursue relational unity. But understand this, pursuing unity takes work. It doesn't come naturally. And so in unity and pursuing it, expect disagreements we are going to have disagreements along the way you are not always going to like all the decisions that are made i don't like all the decisions that are always made and i'm sometimes the one that makes them right some of you looking at me funny you fight with yourself all the time come on not the only one that argues with himself and sometimes loses right we're not always going to like things But what happens when there's division in a local church is often not over doctrinal unity. It's not even over tier two issues. What happens is when we elevate our preferences above everything else. We move the preferences of what we want above caring for each other. We move our preferences above the mission of the church of spreading the gospel. Let me give you a quick example on this. I believe Pastor Matt has an incredibly hard job. I think his job's harder than my job. I'm glad that God did not call me to be a music minister. I really am. I'm really really glad I didn't because I have no ability to do it anyway. But I'm glad I don't have to pick music out every week. Right? You know why? Because not all of you like the music every week. And that's not a shot at Matt. If you notice what Pastor Matt does and what I preach about him so much, and I've been around music ministers before, is he works incredibly hard at lining up every song that we sing with the text I'm about to preach. And if you pay attention to it, there's a flow within our worship service and all those songs working within the text that I'm about to go over. And I think that's outstanding what he does. But guess what? There's songs we sing some Sundays that I go that one, really don't. Yeah, there, there's just some of us. Some of us like more traditional. Some of us like contemporary. Some of us like the blend. Some of you like bluegrass. I mean, oh, good gracious! I mean, let's, oh. yeah, southern gospel. I mean, this all over the map. But you know what I have to do is when I'm singing sometimes, and we sing a song where I go, eh, I don't really love that. And again, that's nothing to him. That's just you know songs he picks. I okay all the songs we pick right? And so there's some songs he sends me the set list on. I'm like, oh, don't really love that one. All right. Well, it works. It's in the flow. We'll do it. And we're singing and I'm like, ah, you know what? I don't love it. But then I look over and somebody's got like two hands up, right? It's like a two hand song for them. I mean, they're borderline Pentecostal on us that morning, right? Or maybe they're holding the baby, like you're holding the baby out here, and you're just like, man. And I'm thinking, gosh, I don't love this, but I look over, and they're like two hands up, and they got their eyes closed. They're swaying a little bit, maybe actually clapping on the beat, which is also another outstanding thing for us. And I go, man, God, you're working in that person's heart, and that's awesome. And Lord, thank you for working in their heart. Right? And then there may be songs that, I, that we sing that I'm getting into and I love. And you may be going, oh man, I don't really love that one. But you look at me, all right, all right, well, boy, Lee's getting into it. God's working in his heart. Great. So what happens is when we have disagreements, we treat each other with love, we treat each other with respect, and we lay our preferences down in order to serve the greater mission of what we do. And what is that? The greater mission of what we do in pursuing unity is keeping the mission first. We keep the mission first within a local church, that's verse 17, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, the local church mission, what we pursue first above all is that, we preach the gospel. I got a text this week from one of you, and uh, the text said, give me a call as soon as you can, I have something to tell you. Now, in my line of work, that can go either way, right? And I was sitting there and I'm like, okay, well, I know this guy. <sighs> what's going on? I mean, you know, just the mind starts racing. So I, I get a second, I give him a call, and I'm just deep breath because I don't know if this is good. I don't know if this is bad. I don't know where this conversation is going. All I said was, give me a call. I got something to tell you as soon as you can. So I call, hey, man, what's up? They say, I just got to tell you something that was really cool that just happened. I was down at Home Depot and I ran into an old friend, and we got to stand there and connect, and he, he knew that I have faith in Jesus now. I knew him at a time where I didn't have faith in Christ. He knows who I am now. And he just wanted to ask me more about that. He said, Man, I got a chance right there in Home Depot to have a gospel conversation. I love those calls, right? I'm like, yes, that's awesome. And I love when I hear you guys tell me those stories of, hey, I got to invite somebody to rodeo weekend, or I'm pulling in this person on my cook team that's a neighbor that I've been trying to invite to church, or I had a chance to have a gospel conversation. Because what that's telling me is that's keeping the priority of the local church. You're doing that. You're pushing the gospel out over and over and over. And think about it this way. Divided churches are not effective in reaching people for Jesus. Divided churches do not grow They die. That's what happens. Divided churches, they don't reach people for Christ. They don't grow. They die. And that's what Paul's warning about the danger of division. You have to keep the mission first. Think about where we are culturally. Culturally, we are divided. People see division every day. They see it on their, you know, on their social media, see it on the news station, they watch. They see it in their homes, it's in their marriages, it's in their workplaces, it's in their schools. There's division everywhere. There's division over politics, there's division over mass, no mass, vaccines, or vaccines, no vaccine. There's division in relationships, there's division on social media, it's everywhere. But imagine with me, if you will, a church united, a church that says we are of the same mind and same purpose of who Jesus is. We are loving each other, serving each other, at times laying down our preferences of what we want in music or programs or decisions that are made. We're keeping the gospel central. Imagine that, if you will coming out as a united church in a divided culture and saying, we have a better way. We have a way to end that division. We have a way to show you how not to be divided in your life. We have a way to show you how not to be divided with God. See, Christ takes care of that greatest need that we have because of our sin. We're divided from God, but Christ Reconciles us to Him. He brings us in a relationship. He unifies us to God. And we have that message. You imagine with me that kind of a church to come to that kind of a culture and say, We have a better way. We're about to sing it. They'll know us by our love. They'll know us by our love. If that is proof of the gospel working in us, that others will know us by our love, then the reverse of that will, if we're divided, people will not see the gospel working in us. Paul says it this way in verse 17, division empties the power of the cross. This morning, will you choose to be a unifier or a divider? Let's pray together. I want to thank you for watching today's message right now i want to encourage you to do something you know when we hear the word of god the bible calls us to make a decision and really that comes from jesus all throughout the new testament jesus is saying come and follow me if you think about all the decisions that you've had to make in your life some were small decisions some were big decisions some were not really important and some were very important But the decision of what you're going to do with Jesus Christ in your life is the most important decision that you're ever going to make. See, really, there's only two options. You can walk with Jesus or you could walk away from Jesus. And I want to encourage you right now to walk with Jesus. And the way that you have a relationship with Jesus is you place your faith in Him. Place your trust in Him. And what you're doing by placing your faith and trust in Jesus is you're saying, Jesus, I, I know I have sinned. I know I have sin in my life that separates me from God. And I'm going to trust in you. I'm going to trust that you can bring me to God. See, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5 and verse 21 that Jesus knew no sin, but he was made to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And what that means is this, that when Jesus died on the cross, God put all our sin on him. And that when you trust by faith in Jesus, he gets your sin and you get his righteousness. It's called the great exchange. You give him your sin and he gives you his righteousness. That means you're forgiven. You're forgiven of all the sins that you've ever done and that you're forgiven of all the sins you ever will do. And the Bible says that when you place your faith and trust in Jesus, that God forgives you of your sin and he forgives you of of the power of sin in your life right now, that when you die, that God will take you to heaven to be with Him for all of eternity. And so if you're ready to do that, I want to encourage you to do that right now where you are. And you simply can pray along with me. Just bow your head and close your eyes. And you can say, Dear God, I know I have sinned. And today I'm ready to trust Jesus as my Savior. Thank you, God, for saving me. You know, friend, if you've prayed that with us today, I want to encourage you to let us know. You can go to heightschurch.org connect, or simply open the camera app uh, on your phone and put it right over this QR code, and that's going to take you to that website. There you can let us know that you prayed to receive Jesus as your Savior. What we'd love to do is celebrate that with you, pray for you, come alongside of you and help you take your next steps of faith. And so I want to thank you for watching today's message. I want to encourage you, if you're able to make it out, we'd love to see you in person here at Heights on Sunday mornings at 9 or 10.30 a.m. Or you can catch us online at 9 and 10.30 a.m. live on Sunday mornings on our Heights Facebook page or Heights YouTube page. So again, until next time, God bless and have a great week.